0: Hey, good morning, and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls, and I'm your host, and I have a spectacular guest on today. This lady's name is Lynn Riley, and she is a rock star, so stay with us. And here we are. Let me bring Lynn on. Lynn, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited that you're here. Um, I mentioned to you that it might be about two degrees warmer than the hinges of hell in my office. So <laughs> if I pass out or anything, just keep going.
2: I will. No problem. <laughs> I'm all about going so, slow.
0: That's it. <laughs> You've proven that this morning.
1: <laughs> I, I don't even know how I'm here right now. I'm
0: just grateful I am. Uh, that's awesome. So, um, Lynn, I created this show about two and a half years ago, um, and and if I'm completely honest, I I probably did it for selfish reasons. It was to help people get unstuck. I was going through some crap myself, and and um, my gosh, it's just been phenomenal hearing everybody's stories, and I'm excited to hear yours. Um, So let's start with where you were born and raised.
1: Oh, wow. I was born in in New Jersey, but I was only there for probably four years until I moved to Connecticut. And I have been in Connecticut for the most part since.
0: Nice. I've never been to Connecticut.
1: It is a lovely state. I've never that. winter at all. Like, it's once it gets cold, you know, I start to get into that funky. And I think that's why New Englanders get to be a little... uh, a little um, cranky, yeah. Quickly, because we have such a an interesting weather pattern that's consistently changing, and then once it gets cold, we're just we're just not happy people. Yeah. So I uh, I don't know I I often will question about February why I'm still here until yeah. I'm driving around and it's absolutely gorgeous year round. So I'm grateful for that. I'm around for that and my children.
0: Yeah. With the exception of the, the snow gets a little, I mean, I'm in Ohio. We have very similar. It's like, I've said to my wife, like, why do we live here again? Exactly. Why? So, so you were born, so you're a Jersey girl at the core. Yeah. (laughs) And so you were born and raised in, in, well, you born in, in and spent four years in Jersey and then moved to Connecticut. Um, Did you go to college up there or did you go to college?
1: I did. I went to the college in Connecticut at the University of Connecticut.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I needed a break and I moved out West to the Seattle area for a year and then knew I needed to go back to school in order to do the things I wanted to do. I'm a mental health therapist. I'm a professional counselor. So I had to go back to grad school, came back to Connecticut because it was the cheapest option. Yeah. And I wanted to get certified to work in schools in Connecticut and so that was the route I t- chose.
0: I lived in Seattle for a year as well. It's so beautiful.
1: It's so beautiful.
0: People don't even know. Okay. The worst part though is the traffic is just uh, that I5 corridor is no joke. Yeah. So, um <clears throat> it, so you you go back, you get your graduate degree, from the University of Connecticut.
1: There I was uh, my master's program was at Central. You okay, have a program at the time.
0: Got gotcha. you. Um, and then um, Okay, so I you, we're we're in a book together. Crappy to happy. Mm-hmm. Your story I just read this morning and it's a phenomenal story. Um, I'm gonna pull it, it I'm gonna open up to what page is it? 10 oh, There it is. 105. And it's called you period. You're missing you. Mm-hmm. You're missing you. Mm-hmm. So um, and I love the very first line in, and it is I don't know what you call this, the chapter subtitle. Um, I knew to truly feel love from another, I first had to feel it for myself. So in this story, you you talk about <clears throat> some things that, that occurred as a child that went on um, in your childhood. And I find it interesting because I had a bit of a, we'll just use the word tumultuous childhood myself. and And I find it interesting that it seems like our our childhood occurrences or events kind of shape who or what we become as adults. Like, would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and you ended up as a as a uh, a therapist. Is that right? Is that the word? I, am I my? I? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, talk a little bit about. Well, you don't have to go into details, but talk a little bit about what it was like for you as a child, like what, what made Lynn who Lynn is today?
1: Well, Lynn has, was always very sensitive to other people. So she was very in tune with other people's feelings and what was going on as many, many of us are. Yeah. And they, the, my early childhood experiences, I had a dad who was, he was a workaholic, so he was not around a lot. I had a mom who had a diagnosed mental illness of bipolar and mm-hmm. she home with my brother and I, and we really watched her, lived her ups and downs. But being a very sensitive person, living with that energy kind yeah. of, that was a, my whole childhood really felt very chaotic. So, and that was, um, so that became a lot of my chaos junkie in in me that I got used to that adrenaline high and low, you know, life is pretty bipolar in itself, but when you're writing somebody else's, you get used to that. And so that even now as an adult, I certainly, and as a therapist, see that my chaos junkie is drawn to. To things that are a little bit more chaotic, right? And that's part of the reason. Like, I like to use my my chaos junkie does well in my line of work because I get to ride everybody else's train without right. it impacting me. I work right. very hard to not bring the chaos into my life, but sometimes it works itself out. That anyway. anyway.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> excuse me, and I I know people that I mean I've been one of them. I'm not I'm not as much anymore. But I've been one of those people that it seems like I was able to create unconsciously. I I don't think that any of us are consciously going, hey, let me stir some shit up. Pardon my language. But but like unconsciously, I would create chaos because I was. And I would get fired
1: up about it
0: too, and be all like, "You don't understand!" And like, (laughs) right? Yeah. Can you relate to that?
1: Oh my gosh, I have been. I've worked so much with myself for quite a while now, and now, so now I'm able to observe things a little bit easier in myself when the subconscious comes up, and I can hear like, "Well, I'm kind of bored. What, what, (laughs) what shit can I shake up now?" You know, and I'll and I'm in it. And I, happen right, and the next thing I know, I'm in some sort of like dramatic situation that I've created, or you know, I'll go out and get lost somewhere just so I feel that that tension, you know. And I'm a classic procrastinator. Same thing. It's sort of like a a comfort to be living in that state. So less and less over time. Now that I'm more aware of it, but man, I catch myself all the time going down that road.
0: How do you? because I know a lot of people like that. I, I may have even been married to a couple of them like that um, in the past, but how do you, how, because you know, a prophet is useless in his own town, I think is what Jesus said, something like that. Right. So you can't like go to your spouse and go, Hey, you know, you're kind of creating all this drama on your own. Like, cause that's a good way to end up in divorce court. Um, But like, so how do you, identify that and and become aware of it? Because I think a lot of people are doing that and they're just not aware. It's like this election, man, I can get sucked into this craziness like big time and start, you know, but I I, I start and then I'm like, nope, no, no, stop it now. So, so how do you identify that? How do you help people identify that they're doing that? Or do you even help people
2: identify yeah. that?
1: That is absolutely something. There's a lot, of, a lot of the work that I work with with my clients is learning how to slow down and yep. to actually feel what you're experiencing instead of just going with it. You know, because mm. what happens is if we find ourselves in this place, we're like, oh, here I am. I'm in that same cranky, irritable place. Like, why does it always look like this? Why am I always annoyed with my spouse? Or why are my kids always ticking me off? Why am I always in jobs that people treat me like garbage? So once we start to notice those patterns and that we're like always in this place of being unhappy, that's when it's time to pause and and slow down and say, what's actually happening here? What do I perceive is happening to me? And what is my reaction to it? What is my response to it? How am I inadvertently inviting that in so that always starts with slowing down and beginning to notice your like actually how your body feels we're very very trained to ignore our bodies and ignore the senses so you somebody might ask you to do something and you know the 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 self-sacrificer in you, the people pleaser says, oh, I'm gonna do that so they like me and or so I can get ahead in this, but your body's like, don't do it. We don't want this. We can't put our energy there. And so there's like that disconnect there. So, but you know, the fear says do it because then they'll love you and then they'll accept you and then you'll go forward and all that stuff. And so we end up going that route yeah, now, unconscious, right? And even though our body's like, no, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I need a nap, I need whatever. We ignore the body and do it anyway and then repeat the cycle.
0: You know, um, one of my favorite books that I recommend, I am I do coaching and I, I, I recommend this book, not just in coaching, but in my live streams and everything else. And that is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And in the beginning of that book, he talks about, and I, have you read it? I have not. Okay, he talks about the programming of the human, and and it's amazing. We come out of the womb, and we have somebody right there to teach us the way of the world, to teach us what to think religiously, re, uh, politically, the, what how we should behave. If you're a good girl, you get rewarded. If you're a bad girl, you get punished. Right. You know, you go through all of these the this programming by parents, siblings, teachers, preachers, priests, rabbis. And, and then we come out as an adult and wonder why, you know, we, I think that there's this duality that a lot of us experience where it's like, you know, you know, I kind of, I don't really know that I believe all that. Right. And, 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 but, but do you find that people deny that, deny their own they deny their own um, what's the word I'm looking for their own ability to think,
2: (laughs) right?
1: Yeah. Yes. Their own feelings. Right. Yeah. A lot of violating ourselves. Right. So we might, we might in like, I'll go back to the body, right? Cause the body is a really great indicator to actually just to show you how you feel. But we ignore that a lot. We're so disconnected from that.
2: Right, so, right. you know,
1: somebody might be talking about, you might be sitting in a room and someone's talking about somebody else and everything in your body's like, oh, this feels yeah. uncomfortable. I don't really want to be doing this right now, but you want that other person, you want to be on their team. You want them to like you. And so you say, yeah, right. I remember when he did that or she did that. And you jump in, even though everything in your body's like, oh gosh, this, this feels gross, but we do it anyway. Because again, yeah. we're trained by fear. We're living by it. So our fear right. of rejection that that person is going to reject me if I say something different than them has us, you know, betraying ourselves right. over, and over and over and over again.
0: You know, Tony Robbins talks a lot about the, the, our belief systems and, and, and again, I don't think, I think as children, it's very difficult to form our own belief systems. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've, I've read and studied that by the age of five or seven or whatever the age is that you're pretty much set for life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, what? So I, you know, and my wife and I have considered those, those first few years with our, our daughter, like are the most crucial. And so um, what do you find? How do, I guess, how do you help people or do you help people break those those patterns, those belief systems? That um, What's it called? Cognitive dissonance. How, do you help people break that and, and maybe see the world through a new paradigm?
1: I do. I help them with that because I'm really a, a pro at identifying a pattern. So when I'm talking to someone, if I'm listening to somebody and I hear that yeah dissonance, if I hear that disconnection, and I'll, you know, it's very easy for me to pick up like, well, you're saying this, but you're doing something or reacting in a completely different fashion. Let's dig into that. Let's feel into that. So you're mm. able to. And again, it takes a while to be able to see our own patterns because we've got blind spots all over the place. I have blind spots all over the place. Sure. We we need support from our friends from, you know, that th- therapist, coaches, anybody who's who's able to listen to us and able to kind of call us out a little bit, ideally in a way that we can hear, we can digest it. It's not
2: like you're
1: yeah. oh, doing this wrong, whatever. So then we can start to see over time that repetition, and right. also have, but not in a judgy fashion, like, oh, you did that again, you're a moron. No. That's- <laughs> Like we think that we learn by shame, but it really doesn't do well. Look at our country right now. It's just like one big shame bubble, right? Yeah. We don't do well with that. We don't, we don't, it, it tweaks our fear. So we, we, we unravel that way, but really having compassion, for like, oh, I did that again. Okay. Got it. Next time that comes up, hopefully I'll be able to see it a little more clearly and make a different choice. And if I don't, okay, I'll have plenty of opportunities. No doubt about that.
0: Right. Right. So, um, do you you know I, I I talk about this very topic a lot i you know I don't know if you know my story or not but I'm a recovered alcoholic with eighteen years of sobriety and so you know i I can remember like <laughs> denial like is not a river in Egypt but i i I thought that, that everybody else was the problem that you know like i I remember my my well, I won't go into who it was, but somebody said, "Pick me or the alcohol," and I'm like, "You're the reason I drink so much, you right. know." And, and but you know, it took a—I I, want to say a spiritual awakening. I, I don't know what happened, but I—I—I I, I had this thing that occurred, and and I was like, "Oh my God, maybe I'm the problem, <laughs> right?" Mm-hmm. And maybe the common denominator is alcohol and all of my problems. And so I was able to make a a big life shift talk about some of the things that you personally have gone through as an adult um that you you had that shift you had that that occurrence of like wow there's 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 a problem and i might be it
1: Mm -hmm. i still do that are you kidding
0: (laughs) (laughs) i do that every day right
1: yeah Um, I mean, I'm a pro at this stuff, but that's because I'm always practicing and observing. doesn't mean I'm doing Hmm. it perfectly, right? We're always going to be practicing until the day we die, trying to really connect to ourselves and feel that self-love and support. Yeah. And, but, you know, when you talk about being the addiction piece, I feel like so many people are addicted to something in order to fill that void, to fill that emptiness. Right. And... In my own life, you know, I look, I definitely can see the chaos addiction where or because I am a recovering, you know, people pleaser or um, not even people pleaser. That's not even it for me right now. I notice that still, if I'm avoiding something from in myself, I will put my energy into somebody else. Or another situation, or like, oh, my kids are having this problem. I've got to fix this. You know, that fixer part is very much an avoider. So recognizing that my need to fix is usually an avoidance of sitting with me or feeling my feelings or feeling the discomfort, you know, during, you know, during this time period, this, the anxiety this week is like ridiculous. It's through the roof. And so I'm like, okay, through the day, I feel calm. I feel calm. And then next thing I know, I'm like, you know, commenting against somebody's comment that I think is racist. And I'm like, here we go again, you know, get it all, get all the juices going. Right. And and bam, right back in. And then I've got to feel myself again. So yeah. that's the kind of see the stuff I see we avoid with all kinds of all kinds of things, all kinds of things.
0: I, you know, I also have the benefit of of a dual diagnosis of being an alcoholic and a codependent. So I went to Al-Anon where wine is a verb, um, but I went to, to I shouldn't have said that, but I went to Al-Anon because like I found myself in these, you know, situations or relationships where it was like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I I met Lynn or I met so-and-so and, and I'm like, you know, I, I, well, she's got some problems and good thing I wear a cape because, I, right. Cause I know I can help her fix that shit. And so like you know, I'd be here. I am in a relationship because I'm trying to fix somebody else's problems. But what I learned was it was me distracting myself from my own crap. Mm -hmm. And, and so how, 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 um, how often do you see that with, with people that, that are like, I mean, it's, it's gotta be common.
1: It's constant. It's constant, you know, and I, in with my clients, you know, there's a lot of well, talking and then veering off and like, you know, you got to bring it back. You got to bring it back. Right. Because we all do it. It's like, mm. oh, I'm going down this avenue that's really uncomfortable. So let's take a hard left. Yeah. And, and we do. And then we got to come back. But that's OK. Right. Because some of the stuff is like a little too heavy even to dive into. You got to you got to work your way in there. And again, I think a huge piece of it is compassion. And that's something I'm still learning because I wasn't trained in that. All the right. things that we're talking about is the conditioning and the comparison. I mean, talk about like when you're born, you talk, You said it. Right off the bat, you come out and somebody's comparing you. Well, that one's five pounds and that one's seven pounds. Who gives a shit how much you weigh at birth? Like how does that, what does that mean? Right. You know, that, that's average and that's normal. O- according to what? And right off the bat, we're just constantly being compared.
0: Labeled.
1: Because generation to generation to generation has done this. And yep. then we, you know, think of it as when you're learning a new language, you are just repeating it, repeating it, repeating it until it becomes part of your psyche, into your flow or whatever the heck goes on in the brain. I don't know that yeah. part. But, and then we're repeating it out. And that's what happens. So we did that. And then we keep doing that. And the more people that come in in our ear and we keep repeating that, we want to please them. We keep doing that. And then we pass it on to our kids.
0: It's uh, Tony Robbins that talks about that. I mean, he does. He talks about that a lot. Do you know Teodora? Because she loves you.
1: Thanks, Teodora.
0: <laughs> She's awesome. Um, so <clears throat> he talks about that, that, you know, our belief systems are established through repetition and and that and I talk a lot about self talk self conversation you know affirmations I learned 17 years ago that about meditation and at first I was like well that's not biblical and Jesus wouldn't like that and you're going to hell you meditator and you know I was like all this stuff and then I, finally I was like all right fine I'll I'll check it out And, and since then I've meditated every day of my life for 17 years and I won't miss a day of meditation. It's just not real for me. And so, so do you talk to your client? I mean, you're a, you're a, you're a highly educated therapist, um, do you talk about meditation? Cause that doesn't seem like it's part of the, the, oh, the education.
1: <laughs> I definitely do things on my terms. So. I love it. I, I, I knew I,
0: that it was a rhetorical question.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, day one, everybody gets homework. We're always practicing. We're always moving forward. I'm always encouraging. I'm also an energy therapist. So talking about how emotions and mental patterns sit in the body. So movement moves energy and connects back to self meditation moves energy and connects back to self those are you know being aware of that stuff and 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 looking at what do you want in your life all those things connect us back to self because most of the time we're focusing on what we don't want versus what we do
0: amen pam aubrey is also an energy therapist so that's that's kind of cool so um I don't even know what to ask you right now. So, do you meditate
1: every day? Do and, you? And I will say, the days that I miss it, and there will be days because I, you know, have my own little chaotic life. I'm a single mom with two teenagers and have yeah. my in my house and all that, and a enormous ten month old puppy. So oh, I Lord. feel it yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally feel it on the days that I miss it, but. Yeah. It's it and I believe even five minutes takes the edge off and really helps to settle the energy. I'll do other things, but meditation is a a beautiful practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, I don't know. I don't miss it ever. Like I'll be late for a meeting before I miss meditation. First thing I do every morning. Like I've designed my life around it. Like I, I just like. And my wife knows, my kids know, I'm meditating. Leave me alone, like mm-hmm. unless the house is on fire, which I don't think that'll ever happen. While I'm meditating, you know. So, so um, <clears throat> talk about when you got out of out of college. You 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 were in Seattle for a year. Um, wh- why did you leave Seattle?
1: I was only out there for a year. My my boyfriend, who's my ex-husband now was stationed in the in the military.
2: So oh okay.
1: I, I needed a break, took the year off, wanted to go live 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 a little bit. yeah, and did.
0: Got it. so you were were you in, on a military base out there?
1: No, I didn't oh. want anything to do with that.
0: <laughs> oh oh, I got you okay, Again, that's to all comment, my
1: terms. <laughs> huh? Had a very nice, nice apartment, you know, about oh. 35 minutes away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Where about, where did you live out there? I'm curious.
1: I was actually not in Seattle. It was between, it was, um, he was stationed in Whidbey Island. So oh, yeah. gorgeous. Right. So right in between Vancouver and Seattle, it was, that's a,
0: up, that's, that's up where, Georgia. isn't that where officer and a gentleman was filmed? Oh, I don't even know. I think it was. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I've been out there. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So so um, you were out in Seattle. You come back to Connecticut. You get your master's degree and you um, you decide that that you're, what? What did you do? Did you go did to work?
1: Counseling. Yeah, I did school counseling for
2: okay.
1: 14 years.
2: Oh, wow.
1: I really wanted to work with kids. And because I had, you know, my I, my mother took her life when I was 14. So I have always been drawn to support kids because she took her
0: life. She did did I read that in the? I did. I skip that part.
1: <laughs> Is that in
0: the book? It's dramatic. <laughs> Is that in the book? Why I'm being
1: dramatic? Did I miss no, that? No, I'm saying it's a dramatic story. I'm sure I didn't present it that dramatically. It, you know so it's wow. maybe maybe you missed it, and it, it's, right. it's okay.
0: I need to improve my speed reading skills, apparently. <laughs> um, so I did not see that part. Your mother took her life when you were 14 years old. Yeah. my gosh. that um, That had to have left a mark.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But it also was one of those experiences that I can remember being a teenager and saying to myself as a teenager, remarkably, I'm going to use this experience for good. I'm gonna find a way to make this work for me and to help other people. And I didn't know what that was gonna look like. I didn't even know, you know, being a counselor was a thing until I heard it in school. People were, you know, talked to other people and I was like, what? I'm in, like, I do that. It was like my natural skill, so.
0: What age age group were the kids, 14,
1: 14? High school kids, so nine through 12. And I love working with kids. I still like working with kids, but now I like having, now I'm in private practice. So I like to keep my kids hours and now I have teenagers. So I like to be available for them. I know that people will talk about, it's really important to be home with kids when they're little, which I don't disagree with. But at these, you know, teenage years are equally formative. They're constantly paying attention and they actually still need a lot of attention. Yeah, And to have that stable home base so it's important
0: to me to be that for my kids. I have a 14-year-old daughter with my my ex, and she texted me yesterday and asked me if I would come and get her and let her, and teach her how to drive, take her to a, I said, sure, <laughs> why not? Yeah. I mean, she'll be 15 in a couple months and, you know, six months from, so I took her to a big parking lot and and let her drive my car. And she mm-hmm. was like, you know, all just stoked and fired up about it. Um, I, I love what you're doing. I got to tell you that, um, and I'm friends with her. I don't know if she watches my show or not, but there was a lady, um, that I went to as a teenager because of the tumultuousness of my childhood. I, I was in counseling for four years as a teenager and this woman saved my life. I'm not kidding you. She saved my life. Now, it. I still became a raging alcoholic for many years. But um, <clears throat> the seeds that she planted, the love that she showed me as a kid, like when when I wrote my book a few years ago, and it became a number one bestseller. She actually bought a copy of my book and I didn't know, right? And she sends me a message after reading the book and just about how proud she was of me. <laughs> I'm thinking, you have no idea what I went through though after we left counseling. Like, but she planned. I I look back on that at 52 years old and I think, man, that was so important because she really she planned and she was private practice, right? Mm-hmm there was a counselor in high school however that i went they called me in now this was guidance counselor i don't know if you were something different or 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 what but
1: no that it, it is. they call it school counselor now okay it is so you get Same the full, full gamut
2: yep
0: yeah so they called me in and said in my senior year and said you didn't get a biology credit in 10th grade and i go yeah that was kind of a bullshit class i hated it and I'm never dissecting a frog again. So let's just move on from all this. And and they wouldn't let me graduate. They wanted me to come back for a whole nother year. And I said, I'm out of here. Bye. And I walked out. I literally walked out and never went back, never got a GED because I, I felt like if I do that, that's an admission of failure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not about that. And so, so I, you know, I, again, I, I think that what you're doing even when you were doing the high school counselor thing like you are impacting these youth the the youth of our our world and, and a and and it can go one of two ways because the guidance counselor in high school wasn't as sweet as my my counselor <laughs> counselor in fact he was a bit of a jerk so um have you had any kids come back to you as adults and say you know you really impacted my life you changed it
1: yeah i mean i i i did therapeutic groups with kids in the school that i worked in i ran an anti bullying program so anything that i felt drawn to do cuz i didn't want to just do the regular again i need a lot of action so i couldn't just do the regular job you got to go do yeah. stuff and be, and be impactful, right? So yes, I have, I definitely have had that experience re- on repeat. I still k- see kids in the area. You know, it's always nice when they remember me and the work that they did with me. So I am, I'm grateful for that. But, you know, it, for me, I do it because I, I do want to be dramatic and say I have to, but I have to. This is, it's who I am. Really? I, yeah, absolutely. Why?
0: Why do you have to?
1: I don't know. There's like this burning desire, yeah, you know, and and maybe that's my addiction. I don't know, but like I, it's I have such a big heart that needs to be expressed, and I've learned so much over time that it, I need to share it. It's like a need at this point. Otherwise, I think like I, I had between leaving my school job and going into private practice, I had actually left that job, had no job. Had no good plan, but I felt in my gut it was time to go and do other things. And in that year, I can remember like talking to my friends who were therapists. I was like, "Tell me what's going on, like a junkie. Like what what's going on with your clients? What do you need help with?" You know? So, and I just right. I, have a, I have a lot of and right, I, but I have a lot of knowledge, and I, it's so important to <laughs> me to share it. And I've got my kids now. I've got my teenagers, and I love talking to their friends and been, yeah. you know, doing, being still with kids and also working with adults. And I've got some kids in my practice as well, but it just feels right.
0: Talk about, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to yeah. dig up pain. Um, but I, you know, cause like Charles Coachman um, says, you know, his mom was the most important person in his life. I have no idea how I would have handled it. Um, but he does, he says, I do know I wouldn't have had your response. So, um,
2: hold on, let's be
1: fair. It's not like I haven't had my fair share of, you know, I was drinking, I was numbing out, I was avoiding for a long, long time. So it wasn't like I was like, I'm gonna do this, and it went that way. No, right,
0: right. So that's that that kind of leads into my question is you were 14 years old. That's a very, especially with as a female, like you're, you know, hormonal, there's a lot of, I, trust me, I have two daughters, one's 10, one's 14. Yeah. There's a lot of hormones flying around in my house. And so, so what, how did you handle that? I mean, what happened at that moment? I, I can't even imagine like where, how did you handle that?
1: Well, when she actually died, I felt sad certainly but i yeah. also felt some relief because her life was so difficult and it was so hard for her and she experienced just so much sadness and so much anxiety and self shame and all of that so to and i was and she had used me as her therapist since i was very little so and in, in some ways that was a relief on me not that you ask for that right but right but also for her and i can remember right away i thought well, this sucks, but yet I'm so glad she doesn't have to do this anymore.
0: Wow. That's very, um, mature thinking.
1: Well, I was very old when I was younger. I had to, well, get, I had to yeah. get younger as I got older.
0: <laughs> wow. So you, you, well, I mean, you were a therapist from a young age. Yeah. Imagine that you became one professional.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: So Teodora has a question. It's going to cover our faces up, unfortunately. Let me see. I, I, um, just for a second. I'm working on stop being a people pleaser and putting me first more. I'm a single full-time mother and it's very hard to take time for me. I felt guilty in the past for taking time for myself, but I'm working on that more and more. I am single at 39 and I honestly want to change that, but I am afraid. Mm-hmm. I love that question. <laughs>
1: Right. What are you afraid of? That's the first thing to get clear on. I'm actually currently writing a book right now about how fear dictates our lives. But my first book I wrote was um, called 30 Days to Me. And it's all about exactly that. It's all about the, the habit, the, um, the pattern of the addiction, really, of putting other people first. Yeah. And digging into that. But I mean, the whole book is really about learning how to connect to self and there's a whole bunch of like fun little practices in there. And also there's some dig deep practices, but anyway, the short answer of the question is prioritizing self as like, as if it means something. Yeah. You know, would you ever talk to your kids the way you talk to yourself? I hope not because we're not really particularly kind to ourselves. We're not trained to be So right. even taking that. And we got to do small doses because if we do, you know, diets don't work because we're so all or nothing. But if we do small doses where you do a little bit every day, I would start off with like, okay, make a list of things that you would like to do, do one small thing a day, each day, and then build on that, or just commit to it. and That becomes a habit as well. And that becomes a balancer. I could talk about that forever. But the first question is to dig into what are you really scared of? And looking at that,
0: so she wants to she I think is she saying Theodora I think is saying she wants to change the singleness of of her life. Is that it? I'm single at 39 and I honestly want I want to change that. So um
1: Okay, not as opposed to prioritizing stuff. I missed that. That's I'm not sure.
0: Answer. I, I <laughs> yeah, see the the interpretation of the question is pretty important as you can see. Right. So, so if Teodora, if you could clarify that, maybe we could um, talk about that, but I, I, um and I, I've, I've seen that where, you know, people are afraid because of previous relationships, they live paralyzed in fear of, of seeking another one. I, my sponsor in AA, I was like, dude, every woman I get with is messed up, man. And blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he he used to say, "Dude, you have a bad picker." <laughs> I'd say, I, according to the evidence, you may be right. You know, and so so, what about the people who are are living in that fear, the paralyzation of, you know, I, I had somebody cheat on me, or this happened, or that happened, or I don't, I just don't trust my ability to find the right person. What do you say to them? Well, As I asked somebody that just admitted she's a single mom of two, but.
1: <laughs> well, the most important thing is looking at self-sacrifice patterns, right? So again, going back to that original question, what's your fear? Are you yeah. afraid of being rejected? Are you afraid of being abandoned? Afraid of not being good enough? Those are the things that are guiding what our choices and our behaviors. So if you look at that and kind of challenge it and saying, well, when have I actually been rejected? When have I not had any people in my life? When have I not been loved by somebody? It doesn't, doesn't actually happen. Right. And when we move on from relationships, because those relationships are time to move on to something new and that's a great thing. Yeah. So the other piece, and when looking at that fear, then we can start looking at what are our boundaries? How do I put, prioritize other people as opposed to myself? I just had this conversation with my 17 year old, you know, because it's, it starts really early. And we just practice that over and over again. And she was saying like, it's really difficult for me because I want people to like me. I said, absolutely. I still want people to like me. But I will tell you, if it's not something you sit with now and challenge just a little bit, you will have a lifetime of disappointment yeah. in setting up in these situations over and over and over again.
2: It's so,
1: and, and that's what happens. We end up in these relationships where we're putting other people's needs first. And your picker's not broken. It's that it's not it's not that it's actually just it's a habit of putting other people first because you're afraid of putting yourself first, you're f- afraid of asking for your needs. And again, it's not always putting, you know, because uh, relationships are balanced. Right. We're always going to be someone's going to be giving and taking, yeah. but it's learning how to balance that giving and taking from the beginning. A lot of times people will say, well, I I walked in and this person, like they needed to be loved. And so I poured all that love into them because love feels, giving love feels good to me. Absolutely. What did you get in return? I got appreciation. Wonderful. And that feels good. So that's receiving. But if that's the entirety of your relationship where you're giving and they're receiving, what ends up happening is the person who's used to receiving all the time, that will start to get old. They want more. Give me more of the juice. Give me more love. And that becomes where it's not good enough. And then the person who's giving also feels like that's not good enough. And so now we've got resentment and there dissolves the relationship.
0: Do you, um, Charles, Charles Coachman says, after 38 years, I think my wife has broke my picker. (laughs) (laughs) He's been married a long time. That's awesome. Um, So do you. Do you find, though, that um, sometimes the boundaries that, and I don't don't even know if I want to say boundaries, do you find that some people, though, have their expectations of other people are too unrealistic?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, all the time. That's one of my biggest issues. And that always starts with self. So if you've got a lot of, if you were starting back early on, right, if you've got a lot of criticism that you've been conditioned with, then you're constantly judging yourself. All of us overachievers in the world who just can't, you know, nothing's enough. Then that transfers into our relationships where we expect so much from ourselves, which we usually can't meet. And we expect that from our partners as well, which they can't meet. So there's a lot of, in order to, at least from my experiences now, not in my, my my previous marriage, but learning a lot since then, I wish I knew that stuff then, is being able to communicate your needs and com- being able to communicate your fears and being able to be vulnerable and right. vulnerability as a strength as opposed to a weakness. Because if we can be vulnerable, we our hearts can speak to each other's hearts and then we can learn to support each other and take turns in that.
0: I love that. You know, Scott Peck wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled and he talks about the definition of love. I think it's actually chapter 7. I may have read that chapter 3 or 4,000 times. Um because I, you know, I mean when you're messed up, you want to figure out like especially once you realize you're messed up. That's that's the the trick is going, "Hey, I'm a whack job and I got to figure this out." Like, you know. <clears throat> so, but he's, you know, he says that, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he says, you know, that people associate love with a feeling. And I think I did for the forever. Right. Like, you know, and, and then, you know, cause eventually it all gets old. <laughs> I mean, it does. At first there's this attraction and then, then eventually it just like, it's, eh, you know um, so talk a little bit about that. Do you, do you talk about this stuff with your clients? Like, Hey, you know, maybe, you know, it's not just the feeling, but it's about the other person also. Like, do you, do you talk about that?
1: I talk about everything. So yes, when it's, particularly when, when my client's having an issue with their partner, whether short-term or long-term, yeah. it really comes down to, what are you not saying? What's not being said? What are you scared to share at this point? Mm. Hiding parts of yourself from them in order to in order to protect, you know, their perception of you. We're right. trying to control their perception of you. And then your mm. needs aren't being met. Right. So until you decide to one, be honest with yourself and then honest with your partner, you're gonna that's gonna perpetuate and that's gonna go in that same cycle and nobody's gonna really say what they're really thinking and just yeah. kind of do all of our little passive-aggressive moves or be silenced or all the different defense tactics we use.
0: I've been called the king of passive-aggressive, just so you know.
1: (laughs) That's what my kids say about me.
2: (laughs) Oh, really?
1: (laughs) I have very direct communication with my kids, but then I'll say something to them. They're like, you did it again. I'm like, damn
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so... You know, I guess when you were, so you, you, you worked in the school system for 14 years mm-hmm. um, and you left and is that when you started your private practice? Yes. Did you immediately replace your income?
1: No, I was completely broke for a year. I was on aid. Right? I mean, I wasn't sure. And, you know, it's such an, it's so interesting because when, right before I had got divorced And actually I was moving into a new house and didn't, in that process, I actually was about to get divorced. I didn't know I was getting divorced when I moved in the house. And then he moved out. I had to buy a house on my own, which I couldn't afford. So that was a huge leap of faith. But my kids were like, don't move us again. I'm like, no, I won't do that. Wow. Yeah. So bought the house, then a year later, quit my job and had no income. And, but again, my body, my intuition was like, you, Can't do this anymore. This relationship, this working relationship, this job is no longer working for you. If you stay here, you will shrivel up and die here. I'm dramatic when I say it, but it really felt like that. Mm -hmm. And that is really what I now let guide me. Still with fear, always fear attached, while I'm still taking the steps, but learning to practice moving, not ignoring the fear, but working with the fear as opposed to telling it to shut the hell up because it doesn't, you know, have any value. It does.
0: Yeah. I, I think a lot of people look at, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. I mean, literally, like I started at seven, like knocking on doors and selling stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I I think that most people look at people like me or, or you and they think, I wish I could, I wish I could be Lynn. I, I wish I could just have no fear. Like she has no fear; she just goes out and tackles the world, and it's so amazing. Lynn, will you just touch me and anoint me with your fearlessness? And mm-hmm. and and that's just not the case.
1: Not even a little bit.
0: Talk about that. What 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 separates us? Is it is it we're just crazy? It,
1: it, <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs>
2: I'm I'm no, kidding.
1: it's not. But you know, if I looked at myself 10 years ago I'm now living in such a way that me 10 years ago I'm like oh I want to be her I don't have it in me I can't do that there's no way I mean I lived breathed my world was anxiety I was terrified of everything for a long time you would never know it meeting at me you're
2: like oh she's got
1: all going on no inside I was always struggling 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 Right. Well, I allowed myself to actually experience my feelings and start to let things fill up, and that's what anxiety is. It's really avoiding what we're really feeling. So right. up in there and it hangs out until it gets expressed, which is why you know when we cry, we feel so much better afterwards. So once I started to let myself actually be honest with myself and start expressing myself, then the anxiety started to lift. So and when those fears would then come up in that expression of self once I said them out loud, then also started to lift. So, but pretending like they're not there doesn't make them go away. In fact, it makes them get louder. I would say they are like little kids kicking you in the shins. Like I'm going to pay attention until you actually, I mean, I'm not going to pay attention. I'm going to keep kicking you until you pay attention
2: to me. Right.
1: You know, otherwise it just keeps going.
0: Wow. You know, yesterday I had a guy on that, um, was a a sports he was a football player for in college and was probably headed to the pros until he injured himself and he actually tried taking his life and now he you know runs treatment centers and does all kinds of stuff to help people in recovery and and um and you know <coughs> since this pandemic um and the initial lockdown and all the insanity that's ensued since then. um, I have a good friend of mine runs the Ohio suicide, suicide prevention hotline and which is a state organization and, and um, suicides are through the roof, like big time. And there are people that may be watching or listening to this right now who are at the end of their rope, maybe they've had a car repoed or their electric's getting shut off or they can't feed their family. They can't, you know, whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. What what do you say to somebody that is at the end of their rope and they don't know what else to do? What do you Mm -hmm. say to them to help them through this next moment?
1: Well, I've had that experience, excuse me, many, many times in my career. <clears throat> excuse me both working with kids and with adults yeah and it, it the, the primary thing is to keep talking to keep expressing to keep feeling because <clears throat> excuse me
0: even if you're choking oh, on water
1: even if you're choking on your- <laughs> just <Yeah>. keep
0: talking <laughs> eventually it works itself Not out
1: through. you'll be fine <laughs> <clears throat> emotion is energy in emotion and so yeah. when we push it down, it gets stuck there. But really, it's asking to be moved. It's asking to keep to keep being expressed, to keep coming up. That's how we keep our flow. So by pushing it down and pretending it's not there and, and feeling like you should have it all together again, there's that shame stuff. It doesn't do anything besides keep us depressed, keep us anxious and all that. So the more that we express, the more that we talk about it, the more we move that energy that we feel our emotion, it lightens up, everything lightens up. So just keep talking, keep, keep talking to your people, keep talking to your pets, you know, write it down, talk to the air, to whatever you believe in, even if it's nothing, it doesn't matter. Talk to the anything and just get it out, get it out, get it out. So you know what do I what do I usually do when I'm with someone who's like okay I'm this is it I'm done, and I'll ask them all right okay so what's next let's say you're it's right now whatever you choose to do you're done and you you die now what what does it look like where right. are you, what are you doing there well I don't know I I don't know I just don't I just don't want this and that's what it comes down to is I just yeah. don't want this right. I don't know what's going to happen next. And that scares me, It's that fear of the unknown. And so what I often say with someone in particular, it's not in that end of life or ready to be done with life, is say when we're really scared of something, we always say, well, look, in the past says, if I do this, I'll, I'll be in pain. Reframe that. If you actually look at the past, you'll see that whatever you were scared of worked itself out. You're still here. You're still yeah. living life in some way or another they panned out and those really painful events that we all have you learn something from it you got stronger from it something that one door closed another door open that happens to every single person so it's using right. those experiences as our power our fear from past our power because it teaches us we're going to be okay no matter what yeah so and if you end your life today and you're like in the dark well, is that better than what you're doing now? Because the truth is you don't you something great could happen tomorrow, but you don't know if you close that door. Right. But the past says it always does, it always shifts, it always changes.
0: That's beautiful. What do you think? And and I ask this question of every guest. Um, the number one answer is fear. So you have to do better.
2: Ah, <laughs> How much pressure?
0: <laughs> what do you think you know I, I i i place a lot of value on um on i don't want to say money because it, it's not just money but money is important and i was programmed to believe that you know only evil people had money. And if, if, you know, you had, you know, the rich people rich are getting richer and the they're out to get you. And um, so, you know, I had to overcome a lot of, a lot of that programming as an adult. What do you think holds most people back from success? And I know they're not necessarily related, but happiness and freedom mm-hmm. in
2: life. Mm -hmm.
1: So my belief is we are all here to experience love in all kinds of formats, right? We're here to give love and we're here to receive love. So anytime a situation comes in where you feel like that love might be taken away, it stops us in our tracks. So if you feel like if I take this step forward, I might be rejected or I might not have enough of what I need or people might judge me or whatever that is, we stop. Because we think love is being taken away from us, and that kind of goes back to the people pleaser stuff too, right? We think, oh, well, if I just do this, they'll continue to love me. And if I and if I stop doing that, then they might not love me anymore. I won't have that experience, and I won't have that feeling. So we're always fighting for love in so many ways.
0: So you think that's it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just love.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's like very cliche, you know, that's what makes the girl, world go around, right? But if you really step back and look at things of, of, I remember having this moment one time thinking about intuition, and then I had this this thought of love is patient, love is blind, you know, the Corinthians. Yeah. Um, and I thought, wait, everyone says God is love, right? And love is, in that moment I read, love is intuition, love is the universe. Love is the driving force. Yeah, and people reject it because it sounds flowery. Like that's not, you know, go get her enough, right? That's not yeah. power. Love doesn't sound powerful, right? But that's really what we're striving for,
2: right?
1: You now you can have more things. You can be rich as, as yeah, anybody, right? And you can yeah. have all these things. Does that make you feel more love? Does that make you feel more peaceful? No. Yeah. So what are we really striving for? I believe to have that satisfaction feeling of love and I that and that reciprocal love. Right? When are we mad? When we feel like someone's not loving us enough or we feel like we're loving, you know, more than them.
0: Yeah. Wow. I
1: think that's what we're really craving.
0: Wow. That's powerful. So you're writing a new book right now. Mm-hmm. What's the book? <laughs>
1: What are you really scared of? (laughs) Digging into, yep, the fears that actually are holding us back.
0: Holding us back from what?
1: Living. I thought you were going
0: to say love.
1: (laughs) No, living, not existing, but listening to that intuition, that heart, that energy, that universe energy, that God energy, whatever you choose to call it. Because we've all got it driving through us on a daily, but we push it away, push it away, push it I can't do that because I shouldn't do that because. So it's like really powerful, but we'll push it away because fear says you can't, you shouldn't. You will get hurt. Wow. You will be damaged. You will be broke. You will be loveless.
0: When you left the school, I'm sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I think we both have it. <coughs> It's the COVID. Um every time I cough or sneeze, I say that. Um
1: It's scary when you're out in public. You're like, I'm fine. I'm sweet. I know. Everybody
0: looks at you with their masks on. Like um so so I I um forget what I was saying. My gosh. Wow. Um I I, I really I do wanna I wanna I wanna read your next book for sure. I just Speed read your, your story and Crappy to Happy. By the way, if you want to grab a copy of Crappy to Happy, it is on my Amazon store at kenwalls.shop. And Lynn's story is in there. Um, and my story is in there. And a lot of other amazing authors' stories are in there. Um, but then Lynn has what's the first book you wrote? Was 30, 30 Days to Me. 30 Days to Me. And that's about fear.
1: It's actually all about connecting to self. So it's 30 days of bringing joy back into your life while you're learning to connect to your intuition and to yourself.
0: That's awesome. And so now you're writing another book. Mm-hmm. When's it going to be done?
1: Oh, my gosh. It it, it <laughs> My goal is within the next six months, but it's one of those dig deep books, which means I have to dig deep in order to write it, right? We teach what we need to know. So there's a lot. I've had to retell my story and then feel all the feelings of that. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that memory because that's what we do. We're good repressive. So as yeah. that comes up, then again, as the energy moves, we're actually able to connect again. So that's how the process goes, as you know, with writing as well.
0: Yeah. Theodora just bought your book it looks uh-huh. like or she just booked 30 days to me does that mean <laughs> you bought the book Theodora? is that is that what that means yeah. um so
1: i'm excited for you it's actually i mean i'm biased but it's a really good book it was definitely intuitively driven i go back and i'm like damn that's good i'm gonna do that again i mean it's, it's a isn't me- that.
0: That's funny because I've gone back and read parts of my book, and I'm gone. I wrote that. I know. I'm I'm so
2: smart. I can't believe
0: that. I'm so smart. I know it's crazy though when you when you like you know it's it. And I've said this before. um, That writing a book is actually very what's the word cathartic it's very it's healing yeah because you 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 do bring up you bring up when you're especially if you're talking about stuff you've been through which you should if you're writing a book you should be talking about that but you know you start writing about it and then you write about the solution like right Mm -hmm. and you're like well I Okay, so this is the solution. I haven't necessarily practiced this, but I'm going to start now since I'm writing about it, right? So, you know, it's just weird. It's very, very, it's a healing process. It's really cool. It
2: definitely is. And
1: (laughs) your own work is also a healing process. What's that? Going back to your own work is also a healing process. It
0: is. It is. And it's an amazing feeling when you get the author copies in and you open up your first book and you start reading it and cry. Yeah. (laughs) Like I was like, I've read thousands of books and there's mine. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, I'm like crying like a little baby. It's so cool though. It's it's healing. It really is. I highly recommend it. So um, where can everybody follow you? What's the best place social media wise?
1: Uh, Facebook and Instagram is where I post the most.
0: Okay. Lynn Riley, you are a rock star. Wow. Living
1: with serendipity, by the way, that's actually what my page is living with serendipity. Same with my website. So it's not Lynn Riley, but that's uh,
0: what is the website address? I'll scroll it across the bottom.
1: Livingwithserendipity.com. So it's nice
0: and long living I found out serendipity <laughs> serendipity serendipity.com. I got it. I know how to spell.
1: I know,
2: In- but it's one of those things. <laughs>
0: I know I get, did I spell it right? Serendipity. So living with serendipity.com. That's where you can go follow Lynn. Um, make sure that you sign up for her email list and buy everything she's selling. She's a single mom. She needs your money. Um I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But buy everything she's selling anyway. So um and Pam thank you for being on here. Thank you for everybody that's that's been on here and shared this out. Lynn, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. You're amazing. So um, hang with me here for a second. I'm going to end the live stream, but hang on. I want to chat with you. So thank you all. Have a wonderful weekend. And Lynn, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.